The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD Arts Components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 So I'm only pissed though because I had a title for the episode, right? So that's the only reason I'm pissed. I was going to call it Ugly Cry Festival. I had artwork for it and everything, right? So normally the way I title my episodes is based off of something that was said in the episode. Like it could be, it could be like a very small thing. So, but at one point you said it was like a whole ugly cry festival. I'm like, that's it. I had artwork. <laughs> it was based off of like the, uh, the, the, the one punch, uh, that manga. It was based off of that. So I'm like, this is good, you know, but life happens, right? So for the listeners, if you don't know, right? I'm talking to Desiree Brigham from Caesar Triumph podcast, right? But here's the thing, though. The twist to this conversation is we just had this conversation a couple of days ago, <laughs> right? Another twist to all this is, you know, my like analytical think it out as I didn't have the, the mic selected. So... We had a whole conversation. It was like two and a half hours. We unveiled some deep, dark secrets about the Navy that like nobody else ever heard or knows. And we probably won't say it again. Um, but my audio was fucked up. So we about to, you know, we're going to talk again. I, I'm looking at Desiree as like a, a, a superhero in the mental health space, right? A young superhero in the mental health space. And no superhero is without an origin story. So Desiree, can you tell us yours? Yes, yes. Uh, superhero, that's a, that's a big term. I don't know if I would say all that, but I just do uh, what I can, what I want to do, what I think needs to be done. So here we are. Um, like he said, my name is uh, Desiree Brigham. I am a CTR1 in the Navy. I've been in for about um, 11 years. And um, I really love my job as a CTR. Um, I enjoy being in the Navy. It's done a lot for me. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that happens. And I think that we could all do better, like a lot better, um, especially when it comes to the topic of mental health. So with that being said, I decided to create a podcast, which is mm. called Seeds of Triumph. We're about 13 episodes in right now. Um, I release episodes now every other Friday. So we'll get into some of the episode content later, I'm sure. But um, for now, yeah, I'll just kind of tell you guys a little bit about my story um, and how I got here. Because you might ask, right? Like, who is she? Why is she... Uh, like, what is her credibility to like talk about mental health? Because no, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a clinician. I'm nothing but somebody that has been through adversity, has built up my resilience, and has persevered through the unthinkable. And so I just want to pass on, you know, how I did it and then come across other people that have been through adverse times, especially in the Navy, because I know we can all relate. We've all been through something and uh, some of us handle it differently. But I just, I truly believe that we are all resilient and we just need the tools to equip ourselves to get us to the other side. So that's what I want to provide. But again, 
let's let's get into the story, right? So I grew up in a um, single parent household um, with by my dad. It was my sister and I. Um, around five or six years old, you know, I had a stepmother, so um, they were both in my life. However, I was very sheltered and um, I didn't get out much. I was uh, expected to like get straight A's. Um, I was always very introverted. I always had my head head in the books, wanted to learn. Um, I just I just didn't have very many life experiences growing up, and especially like when you get into um, high school and whatnot. I had always had this goal of being like a lawyer or a judge. Um, But I knew that that was going to take a lot of schooling. And my dad was always big on preaching, like, don't get a, don't get student loans. Like if you want to go to college, then you better be doing, you know, all this extra stuff in high school so you can get scholarships. Well, like that just, that just wasn't me and my personality. So um, it was about, six months before I graduated. Um, and I had every intention to go to college. Um, but I don't know why, but I just kind of like had this idea if I joined the military, then, you know, maybe I could be a cop and I could get away from home and then I could go to, go to college and get the education benefits. So I made up my mind. And about two weeks later from this great idea, I I was in the recruiting office. And so I joined as a CTR. I didn't know what it was at the time, but fate happened. And I just, I think I ended up in the perfect position. So I uh, went to A school, went to C school, and then I ended up at my first duty station, which, um, oh, I don't think I mentioned, I'm from Texas. I'm from Austin, Texas. And so (laughs) I ended up at my first duty station, which is in San Antonio, Texas, about 45 minutes away from... um, the house where I grew up. So I was still close to home. I had a support system. Uh, it, it was great. I was happy about it, honestly, even though I said I wanted to get away. It was nice because I kind of still had that crutch um, of like going back home to have support. So I want to harp on, you know, the support piece so that later in the story, you understand why. Um, but yeah, so I show up at my first um, duty station. I'm in the barracks for like, maybe six months. And then I get to move out into town. So I get my own apartment with the uh, roommate, of course, because, you know, at this point, I'm only making like E4 pay. Um, But the barracks in Texas are small. And so like they fill up pretty quickly. So they were just moving new people in and out of the barracks. So I got lucky in that sense too. So like first time living on my own too. A lot of like first times from like graduating high school to being in the Navy. Um, And I was enjoying myself at my first command. Like, of course, there's like an adjustment um, period where you're like having to show up to places on time and like doing exactly what people tell you to do. And that wasn't an issue for me. Um, It was just an adjustment. Like we all can probably share that um, experience. I want to say that I wasn't... um, I wasn't too happy with my leadership as like an E4 or an E5. They didn't do anything um, per se. I just, I just envisioned, I just had higher expectations, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just seemed like they could have, it just seemed like they could have done more for me. Um, But that's okay, right? It it didn't let, I I was so focused on my job. So then I'll get into that, right? Like, 
I love being a CTR. I love my job. So when I was at my first duty station, I did, I learned whatever I could. I did, I like, I did however much I could and I just excelled at my job. So, um, I had my, my sight set on a special duty for my next tour. So I wanted to go and work with special operations. And this opportunity was actually introduced to me when I was in my C-school. And so that had always been at the forefront of my mind, like, I want to do this. So when it came time for me to apply, um, I did just that. I got ready. I asked more about it. And I ended up getting selected um, to participate as an analyst in this program. Mm -hmm. So that was exciting. I was super fortunate because honestly, had I not got selected for that opportunity, I don't know if I would have stayed in the Navy. Um, just because I I had this idea that in the special operations community, I was going to have to operate at a higher level and that everybody around me was also going to operate at that higher level. And I was just going to be around a different sort of caliber of people. And I say that because, you know, we all have to get screened. Um, and go through this like week long process where they ask you questions, they you know do exercises with you, put you under pressure, you know you go through a psych evaluation, and so they're just really looking at you and making sure that you're going to succeed in the program and that you know they're going to enjoy working with you. So I thought that oh like this is cool, you know it'll be a little bit different for me. So, anyways, I um I make E five at my first command and I um get ready to PCS. So I I blew through my first tour, right? That was from 20, 2013 to 2016-ish. So like three oh. years. And then I was in school for my first uh, year. So four years in at this point, I am transferring to this new command. Um, I do have some schooling en route. So I go to that. Um, I get to drive from Texas all along the East Coast and that was such a nice drive because I had not really been outside of Texas. <laughs> yeah. It was so Where'd different. you stop? Where'd you stop at? Actually, so um, it took me forever to get through Texas, but I drove all the way through and I stopped in uh, Louisiana first. Not for training, yeah. but just like to get some sleep. And so my first stop was in Gulfport, Mississippi for... Um, ECS, Expeditionary oh, Combat Skills. Yeah, Damon, yeah. So. Damon, Damon would love that. Damon would love to hear that. Oh, for the for the listeners, especially the early listeners, uh, the normal host is me, Damon, and Tish. Damon and Tish are not here. Uh, so it's me talking to Desiree. But Damon would have loved hearing about this Gulfport, Mississippi thing. I personally, I did not mind being there. There's not uh -huh. a lot to do. But there's like a beach. There's a small mall. And... You know, a little bit of restaurants, just like a cute little Main Street, you know, center. And then, uh, so I had joined like a CrossFit gym um, while I was there, just temporarily. I just paid the dude like a hundred bucks. So like when I wasn't in class, I was just doing that. Again, yeah. like keeping to myself. I was kind of just like focused on me. I was trying to get into like the best shape because I'm like, here I am going working with the, um, you know, in the special operations community. So I wanted to deliver the best products I could, you know? So anywho, I had a good time over there. It was great. Um, one of the most memorable, memorable experiences over there was like at the end when you get to like simulate like a, a combat like situation and like you all have these, I forget what they're called. They're like BB guns, pellet guns, and like they're uh -huh. shooting you with like these little fake bullets that are like filled with paint. Man, I got lit up. 
<laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, please, I better not ever be in a situation like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that, I had to drive all the way up to Maine uh, for seer school. So I did that. And then I drove down to Virginia Beach uh, mm. to my So you went, through, you went through yeah. seer school too. You went through all that, huh? I did. I did. And that's like yeah, survival, that, and that ain't it? that's actually fun. Yeah, serious survival, evasion, resistance, escape. Like, mm-hmm. I would never want to do it again. But honestly, like, that was such a unique experience um, that, like, not a lot of people, not just in the military, but, like, in this country will never have to go through. And so yeah. just, like, having a simulated, like, you are being, like, captured by a foreign country and you have to escape and, you know... They abuse you by like slapping you and, you know, starve you and play these games with you. So like it was it was crazy, Uh, but it was so much fun. Um, So and, and, you know, I'm glad I I was able to bring that up, actually, because looking back in hindsight, I think anybody who gets through that, like you can get through anything. It definitely takes a lot of like personal um, willpower, you know, to get to go through that. You know, even though it's training and a simulation, but if you step out of that and you just think about like, wow, look what I did, look what I got through, like it's it's good, it's really powerful. Yeah, you know? and it, and it's a good uh like a good explanation of having a foundation of strength and resilience. Like, yes. like you know, you already building up a good foundation of strength and resilience. Like, can nothing, you know, you would think like, can nothing bring me down? You know what I'm saying? That's what you would think. Exactly. Actually, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. And so, um, you know, something else about me personally is like when I I grew up raised by my dad, right? And so he always Mm -hmm. kind of instilled in me this like, don't don't take no shit from nobody. Like, you know, nobody's gonna mess with you, and if they do, you you kick them down. You you know, uh, you better stick up for yourself. So like having that mentality ingrained in me and also going through that Sears school training was tough too because they're calling you out your name. They're like slapping you up, shaking you around. So that was difficult to uh, to endure. But like the fact that I did, it, it was cool. Um, so after I get through my training, I drive through Maine, back down to Virginia. I check in. I'm like super excited. I'm here at this new command. Um, the sponsorship process was nice, like cool, warm, welcoming. Um, and <clears throat> a little bit about like the command and like how it's set up. So we have, there's a bunch of different departments. And so like you have your Intel department, which is like IS is, and you have your like CT department or your, your other Intel department, which is like all your CTs. And then you have like the air shop and then you have like your LSs for supply and your um, YNs and admin. And then you have like the operator guys. So we all work together for our separate departments. But when it comes time to get ready for a deployment and get it in our workup, then we all come together um, and we formulate like a troop, right? And so... I want to say for about nine months leading up to this six-month deployment, you guys are all going through these various like trips, these training exercises, getting ready to go. Um, and so I was looking forward to that, but I was brand new. And so I had to like 
kind of wait, wait until I got to that point to be able to like get assigned to a troop and do my workups and all that. So I want to say my first, like I, w- I was waiting for like a year. Um, I was going through training and stuff and schools, like CT specific stuff. But like I was waiting for about a year to finally get that experience. Um, mm-hmm. And during that year, um, I, I, like the culture and the environment was really like different. And it kind of, it revealed itself. Like I had to prove myself every single day. And because I was new or because I haven't done or accomplished anything, right? Like a deployment, then like, you know, the bottom of the barrel jobs were given to me, not just me, like all the new people, we were called new guys. So you have to like take out the trash or, you know, do the things that nobody else wants to do. So like Mm -hmm. you have to stay late because you have to escort someone around the building. Like you're going to do that because you're new. And so it was just a new kind of like mindset. I think it, not just in the special operations community, maybe everywhere they kind of have a system like that. But yeah, like, it was yeah, so. For, am I right? Am I right? Like electricians? Yeah. Uh, the garbage, mm-hmm. the garbage grinder, right? So when a garbage grinder on a ship breaks, it's normally like food and nasty shit inside this garbage grinder, right? So the newer electrician, the newest electrician, is normally the person that got to go get under there. And change out the garbage grinder, you know, and fix it so they get all that food and sludge. It, it's always the newest electrician. It's like a rite of passage type thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think that's what they were going for with those types of things. Um, but then, like on the other side of it, it was like, you'll figure it out. You're smart. So if you're you need to be here from this amount of time or from this point in time to this point in time, and well, you know, I might ask, well, like, what would he want me to do? We'll figure it out. You know, like, you're yeah. smart. <laughs> and so, you know, we would be kind of expected to just like sit and read like tech manuals and let's like get smart on our, on our rate and stuff. So like, it was just different. Um, I expected more like sense of community, more like support, more like building up from your peers and your leadership to just like accomplish this like common goal. Um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't like that. It was very much like, no, you'll figure it out. You need to do what you can to prove yourself. You're not shit until you get through your first deployment. Like, don't, don't talk. Like there was just, it was just like, I don't know. It was just weird. It was mm-hmm. so weird and different. Um, and I don't want to say it was at a disadvantage, but it wasn't the easiest for me particularly because I'm very introverted, like I said, and a lot of uh, a lot of my peers were alike in a sense that like they would want to go out and you know and drink or party. And I'm not saying that I didn't do that every once in a while, um, but I, I pretty much just like to stick to myself. Um, yeah. And so I made a I made a, a name for myself kind of as like standoffish. Um, or maybe I thought I was better than others, which that wasn't true. Like I was just being me, right? Like I don't want to go get drunk every weekend or after work. I don't, I don't want to drink a lot. I don't want to, you know, party. I, I just, I just want to be at home with my, with my books. I didn't have any dogs at the time, but I've always liked to read, um, or like watch my reality TV shows or, you know, so yeah. if setting the tone, painting that picture, it finally came time for me to, um, start my workups. And so, um, 
that was interesting because I was, I was led by uh, a boss. He was a chief who was a very just like rough around the edges. Um, and I, I think he thought he was a brand new chief. And I think he thought he was better than everybody else, just intellectually. Um, and just because he was the chief. And so like, he talked down to us, especially the new guys. Like, like there was that, that picture, that environment that I painted, but like, he took it way too far, like way too far. And so Mm -hmm. that was when I was like, no, no, this is wrong. Like I get, you know, we have this like structure, but he's telling people like, shut the fuck up. And like, just, just degrading people. Um, and, and it was just sickening. It was it was very toxic behavior, and I wasn't going to stand for that. And so, I, I said something, right? Like you're not going to tell somebody else to shut the fuck up in front of me because that's not how you talk to people. Um, I, I don't care who. Like it's just disrespectful. And so, uh, you know, here I am, still this, you know, E five new, my first workup. I don't think that that was portrayed or received too well by him, mm-hmm. but you know, whatever. I'm always just going to be me. So I'm not going to let somebody else get talked to like that. And so that was just like one example, um, not the most extreme, but something like, you know, to, to give an example. So I had to deal with this person through the whole entire thing. Um, and it, he didn't just treat me like that. He treated like every new person like that. And it was just, ugh. anyways, I digress. So I'm going through workups and this um, this deployment opportunity comes up and it's like, obviously we're all getting ready from a deployment. And the way it works is like, we all get farmed out to these different outstations. Um, and typically as a um, analyst, what I was doing, you're kind of like by yourself and you're expected to be like the SME of your job. So like, it's you and you only, and you got to do your job because if not, like, then who knows? So yeah. like it, there's a lot of trust that they put in you too. Yeah, and real quick for the civilians, so, SME, right? That's subject matter expert oh, for yeah. any civilian that that don't know what that is. Uh, yes. So um yeah, this this cool opportunity came up to augment to a different command and mm-hmm. support um them. And so I, I, I heard about it and I was like, oh, I really want to do that one um, because it was, uh, it was a deployment to Afghanistan and the rest of the deployments were to like Africa and the mission was just a slightly different. So I wanted to go to Afghanistan. I ended up uh, getting selected to go on that deployment. So, you know, just imagine like I was super excited because I didn't know if they would pick me just because of like everything else that I had just said. And plus you haven't had a really great experience yet, right? You first command, you said you kind of wanted more. This new command, you got the asshole chief. So you haven't really had a great experience. So you fishing at this point for like a good experience, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, I, exactly. I'm like, where? where's the action? Like, let me do yeah. my job. And so I think part of the reason why I got selected for that, despite, you know, maybe anybody else's feelings, um, was because I truly was like per- the best person for the job. Um, I was very technical. I've always been very good at my job. I've always been striving to learn more, to do more. And so I think they saw that and they knew that. And so, and then when I tell you guys, like, 
you have to be the best. You have to be the subject matter expert if you're going and, and running these missions. And so they, I think they knew they had to send who needed to be sent. Um, and so I ended up getting selected. Like I said, I'm excited. I'm like ready to get to work finally. Like, let me do this. And so it's time. I go out to Afghanistan um, and it's a small group. So I'll paint the picture of what the deployment looked like. Um, I'm on a civilian compound. Um, there's probably maybe like a total of 60 of us. Um, and most of them are civilian. So military, there was four, four total, four or five. I want to say four though. So we were separate. Um, we had a separate working space. We had separate, uh, living quarters and then the civilians just kind of did their own thing. And we, we worked with them some like somewhat in some regard, like if we needed them for something or we were working on like a joint project, but we're typically just in our own space. Um, so the space was like the size of like, maybe just like a, like a master bedroom, mm -hmm. right? So that was our working area and we had desks in there and, you know, typical space. Um, and it was me as the analyst. I had a chief, uh, supervisor, uh, boss, J2 is what you would call it in the Intel community. Um, and him and I were supposed to be working pretty closely to, you know, get the job done. And, and that's just the positions, right? Like the J2 and the analyst, they work like together to find leads to get stuff done. Yeah. So there was a um, contractor that was working with us. And there was a OIC. He was an O4. And there was another person. I I'm, I like, can imagine him. I think he was an E8. It was like an SEL, like a senior enlisted type position. But I don't remember what his title was or like what he really did. Okay. But so, so it was like a small team. And we, we had a lot of work to do. And there was a lot of potential to do great things. So... Um, I show up and I have a uh, person that I need to turn over with, right? The outgoing analyst. So we have about a week of turnover. And um, in that week, she had said something to me that, that I remember that was kind of like weird. And she was like, hey, um, I just want to give you a warning. Like this, you like the J2, he is like, he can be a little moody. And so like, mm. if he, if he starts acting strange, like it, it, that's just him. And I was like, okay, I didn't really ask too much. I just kind of like, you know, was like, cool, noted. Um, and thought of it like, all right, I'll just, you know, figure it out for myself. Like, I just, I don't, I'm a, I don't want to be about the drama. So I'm gonna just let that, I'm gonna just let that go. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So we do our turnover. That was really the only thing that she had said um, regarding that. And so I want to say I'm there for maybe like a week or two. And um, he starts, he being that J2, right? That chief um, that I have to work with. He starts uh, calling me out of my name, like, like, like beautiful or gorgeous or, you know, not nothing. It was totally unprofessional, um, totally out of left field. Like, no, like it, yeah. it was just weird. I, there was. <laughs> and here I am like, you know, oh, hey, chief. And he's like, no, you don't have to call me that. You call me this. And that was his first name. Um, and so like I also say in the special operations community, it's common to call each other by first name. Yeah. 
But me, because I'm really big on respect, unless you tell me that it's okay to call you by your first name, especially if you're in a you know supervisory position over me, I'm just, I'm going to address you by your rank. Yeah. Until you tell me not to. And so that's what I did. And so it was like, hey, no, don't call me that, call me this. And it's like, cool, okay. And so um, then it came to like, oh, you know, good, good morning, beautiful. How are you? Or, you know, thanks, gorgeous. Like, you know, hey, hey, uh, I got this like information. I'm gonna pass it to you. And then I would get that response. And it, it just like made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and since y'all work, since y'all work pretty close quarters, a lot of this was just kind of, you you the only person that heard him saying this stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so I didn't say anything. Uh, obviously, it made me feel uncomfortable and I would like give him a weird look, but I didn't want to like directly be rude or fiery, right? Because at this point, I, I'm like, I really want to be here. I really want to do this job. I don't want any drama. I don't want anything, you know, bad on my name. I'm just gonna, you know, keep my head down. If this dude is calling me these names, like whatever, um, like it don't mean nothing. I'm just gonna carry on. Now, do you think so about it? Were you thinking about it after hours though? Like what he was saying? Yeah, because I mean, you work with somebody, they say some stuff, you you put up your guard, you shield yourself, you know, you shield yourself, you protect yourself, but then you leave work. You know, you go, you go to the gym or you go home and you go to sleep. Do these things ever come back in your head when you're not at work? I think at the time, um, in those first two weeks, I wasn't thinking about it okay. um, at all. I was very much focused on just diving right into the right into the work. And so in my line of work, like it's nonstop. Like there's no end point, right? You're always searching for that next like golden nugget. Yeah. And you're using all your skills and your tools to, to find it. Um, and so I was, that's, I think that's where it started with me just kind of like using work to cope with uncomfortable feelings. Um, and so as time progressed on, I want to say maybe in the next two weeks, he was still calling me out of my name regularly. Mm. It wasn't every interaction, right? But it was regularly. Yeah. And then it evolved to like, touching. So like he would come up and, you know, maybe put his uh, hand on my shoulder or, you know, brush up against me. Um, and then there was a point where I remember him like putting his hand on my back. And then like, there was another instance where he actually like roped my butt. And so this happened probably over a span of maybe like another two or three weeks. Um, I just like spread out times. And so that made me, that also made me feel uncomfortable. And so here I am, like at this point, I'm thinking about it, like this is wrong. And so you might be thinking like, or my ass, like, did you tell him to stop? Did you do anything? Um, and the answer is no. But when it did go to like him touching my butt, I just like looked and was like, what, like, what are you doing? You know? And I think he knew that that, well, obviously he knew that that wasn't okay, but like that was kind of the limit at that point. And I thought I had like made that clear. Yeah. Now you never so, gave him, but you like even before this though, right? Cause we, you know, we did talk about it. You never gave him a vibe to like, cause it seemed like he got progressive without even getting no vibe ever. Right. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. That's crazy to me to like, to like elevate like your like nastiness without ever even getting an, an invitation. To just go and harder honestly, and harder. 
it was probably because I wasn't like pushing back, but just because I wasn't like outwardly being like no towards you doesn't mean that what you were doing was okay. I was just trying to keep the peace, not start no drama, protect myself so that I was able to do the mission. I literally put this mission and this job above me. Like that's what I was doing because that was the most important. Yeah, he was like I had to get it done. Yeah, and he was gonna test, he was just gonna test the limits. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely what he was doing. Um, so at this point I get a call and like a check-in from the girl who was there before me, just like, hey, you know, how's it going? Are you enjoying it? Like, you know, I heard this, this, this happened out there, and I'm like, Yeah, everything's cool. Um, this, this, this being like job stuff, mission stuff. Yeah. Um so, and then she's like, well, is, if, is everything good with, you know, this chief? And I was like, uh, actually, like, you know, he's doing the touching and the names. And she was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, he, he did that when I was there, too. And so, mm. I, <laughs> yeah. And so she's like, well, are you going to say anything? Did you, like, did you report it? And I was like, no. And I told her why, right? Because I don't want any drama. Like this is my first deployment. I don't want to become, you know, one of those women that is causing problems. I don't want rumors made up about me. Like I was scared of that if I reported it because like, honestly, and unfortunately that's a thing, um, especially for women in the military and not only the military, but in the special operations community. Um, so I tell her that I'm not going to report it. You know, we end our conversation after some more words. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she reported it. And I didn't know that she was going to do that, but she reported it. And so maybe a week later, I get a call from uh, some random lieutenant at that command that I was supporting. And he tells me, um, what, like there was a report and he asked me if I could write up a statement for the investigation. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, here, I guess here we are. Um, but let me rewind because before the lieutenant called and in between the time that I talked to um, my... Uh, the person you guess, relieved? Yeah, the, the person I relieved, yeah. Uh, I had left my radio in the office because we all had to carry radios on us at all times amongst like other things, but... I was working late and I had left my radio in the office. And so I went back to my room and we had these work phones too um, to like contact each other. If there was an emergency, like a country phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so it's like 2 a.m. And I'm like in my room. I left my radio by accident. It's late again, like I said. And so I get a knock on the door and um, I'm like, who is this? Like, that's weird. Uh, and it was the guy. And so he had my radio, but instead of just like, you know, maybe have, being a few feet away from the door to give me the radio, like like any normal person would, right? Especially in this like dynamic. No, he like tried to step into the room to give me my radio, and I had to be like, no, like, like no, thank you. Yeah. And uh, that made me feel extremely uncomfortable and just like very shooken up. Um, and so after that, I was just like, that's when it kind of dawned on me, like that this was taking a toll on me mentally and I wanted to just shut it out to disassociate and so I was constantly working like 14 16 hours I was in the office if I wasn't working I was I was in the gym 
or I was like, I just wanted to do everything that I could to like keep my mind off of what was actually going on. And you still had to work with him, right? Hand in hand, pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. So how how was he? How was he acting after he tried to go in your room and you pushed him out? Yeah. So actually, and now now I kind of see, right, at this point, what she's talking about my replacement when she's like, oh, he's kind of moody. So there would be times where it would just be so toxic. Like, all right, I'm ignoring everything that you're doing, but I'm still trying to just do the work, get the job done. But he would make that impossible because he would be so rude and mean and unperceptive to like the work that I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that was like the moody part. It's like, well, why are you why are you acting like this? Like it doesn't make any sense. And I think that that was the way that he responded to those like or in that particular awkward interaction. Yeah. Um so at this point, right, after all that had happened, I get uh the call from lieutenant and I write up the statement for the investigation. So I mentioned the country phone earlier um and without like going into too many details, like there were text messages and that country phone from him. And he would that like various times would text me at like two, three, four in the morning, like, Hey, are you up? And I just wouldn't respond. Like I just completely ignored that. Um, and, but I had those text messages as proof, um, to send up in this investigation when he reached out to me. So I wrote up my statements. I let them know what was going on. I sent it up. And I want to say maybe like two or three weeks later, um, he is sent home. He's pulled off of the deployment. Mm -hmm. We're in like a different part of um, Afghanistan. So we have to like fly to this like central uh, base in Bagram to uh, get the flight, to get our flight out, right? So that's where he goes. But we also have like a HQ there, if you will, um, for the unit. And it's just like a small um, separate like camp for everybody in that unit, like coming in and out, right? Like a little HQ. Um, And so I don't know what happened or who said what, right? But apparently um, when he went there, uh, I guess, you know, People were asking and the stories stories were told. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was told was, you know, that I made everything up and that I was this uh, troublemaker um, and that I, you know, I, I don't, I, I hate even just repeating this because it's like so crazy and wild and untrue. But like, I was just like this, this slut that was, I guess, sleeping with all these people, which mm. like, Logically and logistically, that wouldn't have even been possible. Um, but then, too, like if any, if you know me, anybody that knows me, like that is so crazy. Like I would not do something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, like, it, and it's just a complete lie. But I guess that's what was said, and so that information um, made it back down to where I was, and made it back down to some of our. Um, like the partners that we were working with um, mission wise. And so like <laughs> being the subject of like all this gossip and being the reason why, you know, this, this foreign entity, right? Like I'm not even a part of this command. One of them gets sent home and then like, who are they going to believe? Right. Are they going to believe me? Or are they going to believe him? 
it seemed like they believed him. Like nobody cared what my take was or what I had to say or how I felt or what I was going through. So like, even though I just endured all of this like inappropriateness and instead of being like, you know, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, you know, we're so sorry, you know, for his actions. Like, are you okay? What do you need? No, none of that. It was like, I was just enemy number one. Like, no, we we had a real enemy to fight in the country, but like, no, I was enemy number one. <laughs> yeah. And was it not one person at the command that like was there for you in, in this time? Um, No. At this time, there was not one person. I wouldn't say at the commands, but like in that group of people that I was out there deployed with yeah. that offered up any type of support. And this is a male-dominated group? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yep. Well, male-dominated? Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. So uh, that took a toll on me too. Like I, I was lonely. I had nobody. Um, like they would get together and like do things and... I just, it was just me. I didn't want to be around them. And I was also like scared of what they were saying and what they had thought. Yeah. Um, And then it started taking effect on like my work. So they ostracized me from like work stuff. Like I was being purposely left off of emails. Um, The work that I was supposed to do was being outsourced to another analyst from another organization. And Mm. so I found that out on the back end because they were asking me questions. And I'm like, why are they going to you for this? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so that made me just feel like completely worthless. And I just felt like all of this was so like undeserved and unwarranted. And so after I want to say maybe like two months of being there and like having all this happen back to back to back, just like getting progressively worse. It's just like, boom, it hit me like a truck. Like I just fell into this like deep, dark depression to where I just couldn't like stand to be there around these people to smell the same smells, to eat the same food, to just do anything. Cause I was so angry and I was so confused because I had never felt like depressed before. I had never felt such lack of motivation or desire to, to do my job or to do anything. Um, and so I just, I had to stick up for myself finally and say, I can't be here. I don't want to be here because honestly, if I had stayed there, I'm, <laughs> I might've been gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> and I get emotional talking about it because it's crazy how all of that can make somebody feel like ending their life. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and- the worst thing you should be dealing with is Afghanistan. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sad. Like the worst thing you should be dealing with is Afghanistan, but you got your peers and they giving you more pressure than the enemy. Exactly. Exactly. I was making a funny face because I don't know if your audio was like connected. Can- it was like a lag. I don't know. Yeah, it, it lags sometimes. It's cool. I'll take Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, is he talking? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I just um, I just thought so, you were I thought you were just crying. So I was gonna give you your oh, space. Oh no, I'm good. <laughs> no, no, I'm a, I'm a just I get I'll get teary-eyed, but like I'm over the like, you know, stream yeah. of tears part. I've uh, I done cried so many tears off of this. Like 
it's unnatural now for me to not get teary-eyed though. But anywho, so um, I get sent home and luckily like that process was not hard to accommodate. I think once I threw up the red flag, they were like, all right, cool. We got to get her out of here. Like at this point, it's a liability. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I'm back in Virginia and actually let me uh, rewind because like you might wonder like where, what about your chief from your command? Mm -hmm. Um, And remember I said like he was very uh, like awful. (laughs) I, I still to this day, like, he taught me how not to be like, don't be like him. Um, I won't mention his name because I ain't going to do nobody like that. But like, <laughs> yeah. um, anywho, so I did let them know what was going on. Um, it was him and another chief. Um, and it was one, I, I tried to call to talk to them in person. But like I said, we're all like around the world. And so we're at different time zones and stuff. So um, that didn't work out. So I sent a, sh- a text saying like, Hey, like let's schedule a time to talk that ended up working out. So I ended up letting them know via voicemail what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get a response. So <laughs> that, that was what it was. Uh, yeah. that didn't leave me feeling too good or supported either. And this is while this is after you made the report. Uh, this is not, this, this is not like while the stuff is happening, right? This, you letting them know, keeping no. them up to date after you made after. the report. And okay. All right. 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 Because now at this point, right, I'm leaving the deployment. So I need to let somebody know, you know, that I'm leaving. Yeah. Like what's going on? I didn't know on? what they knew already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get back and my best, one of my best friends, she picks me up. Um, and so I'm, I'm with her. Um, Cause at this point, <laughs> before I went on this deployment, I had like put all my stuff in storage. Um, I had, you know, broke my lease to my apartment. Like, Coming back yeah. early was not in the cards. That is not how I planned anything out. So, so going through all that, I also had to find myself somewhere to live. So luckily, one of my best friends was there and she has a she had a room. And so she took me in um, and I stayed with her for uh, about a month, uh, maybe two months until I just kind of like got through what I was going through and then was able to like function enough to like get myself my own like space. Um, but like, I'm fortunate that that she was there because I kind of needed that support at the time. Yeah. Um, but anywho, so um, back to my like command, uh, there was a leadership turnover in my department. So here we are at my parent command and um, I am getting a call maybe like a few days after I get back from this senior chief. Um, And I don't know who he is, but he's new. He took over the position of the SEL um, from other guy because there was a turnover, like I said. So he's like, hey, you know, uh, tracking what what happened to you. Like, how are you doing? I hope everything's good. Like, cool, checked in on me. And he's like, all right, moving forward. Like, all right, this is where we need you to be at this time, right? Getting reintegrated back to the command. So I have to like do my you know, post-deployment health checks and I have to uh, do my vouchers and just like all the stuff you do after uh, deployment. So he wanted to make sure that was on my radar and that I was going to get it done. Um, And then talk to me about like the schedule, like going into work and stuff like that. So we have that conversation um, and here I am. I'm back at the command, show up to work, getting my stuff done. Uh, But it's different. So, and then at this point, I felt like, um, 
you know, if you read the book, uh, the Scarlet Letter, right? I felt mm-hmm. like her with the with the, the the letter on me. Like everybody's talking to me, uh, talking about me, treating me differently, um, looking at me crazy, and I just it was just awful. So like the same stuff was happening at home um, in Virginia by people that did that weren't there, that didn't know what was going on, but like people that I also thought knew me more than to think that I would do something like that. But like, no, it was like, oh, that's, that's the hot new tea. Like, let's talk about it. So I was the subject of that. And it definitely affected me a lot. Like, I felt like I was just being bullied and ostracized. And, you know, that did not play well on these thoughts. What about other women in the community? Were they doing the same thing as the guys? Yes. Capital Y-E-S. Yes. Right. And you wouldn't think, but yes, 100%. There was even like, it was even like, oh my God, I hate her because now she, this is just another one who's making us look bad. Like they were even harder on me for something that I didn't even do. Yeah. So like none of that was my fault. Like, ugh, sickening just thinking about it. But anywho, um, I... In there, going through that, dealing with it somehow. So, you know, I'll talk about like mental health and therapy at this point. So I was advised uh, to get into a therapy appointment right after I came back. And this was by not my parent command, but the command that I was augmented to. So they had their own um, therapists and psychology department. So I went and I talked to um, them. And they were like, made sure there was a master chief um, who took me to that appointment. She made sure that I was there. Like that was the first like support that I got in like, I love, love that woman to this day. Like she, she was great. Um, like to be there to make sure that I was getting the care that I needed. Um, so she took me to this appointment and I'm talking to the psychologist and I'm having to just like tell her everything and just like reliving that was so traumatizing at the time. Cause it was like so new and fresh. It kind of just like turned me off from therapy at the moment. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to deal with this. And so I didn't, I saw her, uh, she told me, you know, to continue counseling, like at my command. So I did reach out to the counselor at my command and I probably like briefly, I didn't even go into the story. I just kind of like talked to her, did, did a check-in to be like, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just like still like just internalizing it, like disassociating, not dealing with anything. Um, and just like going home every day and probably like sleeping or yeah, I was doing a lot of sleeping. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and then like distracting myself with uh just like talking to my friend. We would like she would like get me out of the house and we would like go on runs or and she had these two dogs. Um I love her dogs, like I call them my first like doggy loves. Um yeah. so, they were so great. So if you you know, when you do become like a full fledged like superhero, it's gonna be like dog based. Like, like, like <laughs> you know, they got like cat. They got like cat woman. You go. I mean, cat. Yeah, you could be like Yorkie woman or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> taking a bite out know. of taking a bite out of uh, crime. Like what are the dogs? Dogs are powerful though. Like yeah. honestly, they are so amazing. Like it's like they sense emotion, and that's what it was with those two. It was like that. It's like they knew that. You know, I was depressed and they were there for me. Uh-huh. 
But anyway, that's why, like, I don't know. Dogs always have a special place, especially those two. So, so I got, um, so question, because I, we did, mm-hmm. you know, just become like social media friends too. Did um art, was art a form of therapy too at some point? So it's funny that you say that because not until recently, actually, I had always done um, art in high school. Like, um, like I just love doing that because I was very introverted. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just like a way for me to like have fun and do things by myself. So I, I I practiced a lot in high school, but I didn't touch it. And so it's crazy, right? Because recently, because I'm also like I told you, I have ADHD, and one of the things that I like to do. It's like, I'm just very impulsive and I start up these new hobbies. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I landed on like artwork again. So I started, um, I started drawing and I landed on doing these um, pet portraits and they're of dogs, of <laughs> yeah. course. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's how I got there. But I will say um, it has been a major form of therapy. And that's why I started drawing again because uh-huh. at work, I was feeling so burnt out just like lately I had been feeling so burnt out. I was like doing so much. Um, I couldn't find a way to relax. Like watching TV got old, Um, you know, like I can't walk forever. And so I was like, ah, let me pick this up. And so I did it. And it has actually been wonderful. Nice. Wonderful. Nice. Yeah. So you're doing therapy. You you said you get home, you're going through therapy. Your friend, okay. your friend is helping you, uh, like just her being with you, y'all doing things mm-hmm. together and stuff like that. Yep. And so at this point, I wanted, like, I had like two therapy sessions, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not in therapy regularly at that point. I had been back for maybe three or four weeks, probably like three weeks. And then I get a, um, uh, I talked to my SEL, the E8 uh, senior chief. Uh, that was a new like department person. He was actually in, he's actually in charge of like billeting people and like like making sure that we are where we are and like mm-hmm. manning's good and so he approached me with this opportunity to go and uh tdy to a different command um and i was like perfect like this is amazing yes please like get me away from here because these people are treating me like shit and i think he knew that and he saw that um and so yeah i Shortly after, I want to say maybe like in the next week, I get myself over there. And that's when things took a turn for the good. Like I got myself like it was like a cyber mission. And so there was so much more for me to learn and like get good at and practice. And so I was uh, like into that. Like I was busy and focused. It's mm-hmm. like at work, I was doing my job. But then like at home, I was trying to study certain things so that I could get better and then like test it the next day at, at work. And so I was just having a good time um, doing the job. How many years are you in at this point? Um, at this point? Yeah. So at this point, it's probably like six years. So six no. years and it's, it's somewhere between six and seven, six and eight. Yeah, I think it's I think it's six years, actually. Yeah. All right. So six years in and you finally feel like you having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, okay. I never really put it like that. So yeah. Yeah. Six years in, I finally feel like I'm having fun. I'm like getting, doing my job um, that I've always loved doing. And, but like, I felt like it was just more impactful at that time. Yeah. And I was like learning something new. So yeah. Um, 
So I'm doing that for maybe like a month. And then I get like this call from um, the senior chief at the command. Like he checks in on me and it's like, hey, how are you doing? Hope everything's well. Like I heard this. Um, and this being like, good. Like we were doing good things. Like I was bringing lots of good stuff to the team. Um, and so that felt good. I felt like I was being productive. Felt like I was being included again. Um, I felt like, you know, I felt like I was proving myself in a sense. And so that felt really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I don't, that wasn't enough, right? Cause I could only do so much at work. Um, and I could only learn so much. And so I still had this time, um, where I was kind of like in my head. And so something that I had always wanted to do was, um, like get into bodybuilding and like do some competitions. Yeah. Um, my, my dad was a bodybuilder. Um, and so like, I knew about it and I had always like admired like, like the strength and the muscles and all of that. And so, um, so yeah, I thought I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, because I also saw it as like a way for me to build up my confidence and like, not only that, but like show everybody like that what they were doing, it didn't affect me, even though it did, but I wasn't going to let it break me, you know? Yeah. And what better way to like show that, right? Than to like get pack on a bunch of muscles. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, um, I found a, a trainer, um, and a coach in, in Virginia Beach. And we started the plan. Um, we started, we got to work and it was something like I would work out every well, three times a week, I would work out with the trainer. But every day, I would see the coach and the trainer. And, you know, if we built we built this, like, little family, this little clique. And it was everyone else at the gym, too, because it was a small gym. It wasn't, like, a gold gym or, like, a lifetime fitness or, you know, it wasn't... A, it was a very small gym, like, like, a, like a bodybuilder gym. So, like, it was really nice to have, like, this, like, sense of community and sense of family in the gym, too, where everybody's, like, uplifting you and supporting you through your goals. Um, so that was cool. So I want to say, like, at this point, I'm like, cool. Like, everything's great. Like, I don't even... I don't even need therapy at this point. I'm like, I'm cured. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. Um, and then, like, in hindsight, I, I know that what I was doing was just kind of, like, maybe distracting myself from dealing with it. But that was okay, right? Because honestly, at that time, I was not ready to peel back those layers and deal with what was going on. I was like in survival mode and I needed to survive. And so I think getting into bodybuilding and building up my confidence and all that put me in a position where I could finally feel okay enough to really unpack and deal with, um, you know, those experiences. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, yeah, so I'm doing my bodybuilding thing, doing work. I want to say maybe like six months later, um, it's time for me to come back to my command. And this is because one, like they have to send someone else TDY here. Like I can't stay there forever. But then two, um, they needed somebody to hot fill a deployment position because the person that was supposed to go had gotten in trouble and I was the only qualified analyst available to put in that position that like didn't have like you can only you can only uh, deploy if you have so many days in between your last deployment. Mm-hmm. So like it, it was a small pool of people and I was like the only one. So 
Um, they asked me to do it. And I was like hesitant at first because I was like doing my bodybuilding thing. I was like, you know, no, I want to do this and pursue this. But um, I couldn't really say no. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up uh, I ended up going on that next deployment. But let me uh, let me rewind. So when I'm at the this command for six months and I tell you guys about this senior chief that was like reaching out to me to check on me, the one who got me there, right? He was... Uh, at that time, I thought like very um, supportive and, you know, he wanted to make sure that I was okay. And so I saw them in this, in this like hero light, I guess, if you will. Um, and he would often um, check in on me. Yeah. And then those check-ins started like becoming late at night at like 11, right? 11 p.m., um, 12 p.m. Like, hey, just making sure you're doing okay. And it's like, <laughs> at this point, I'm like, why, like, why are you wondering how I'm doing at midnight? <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> so, so I'm, and I'm not really even responding to this. Like I might respond in the morning and be like, oh, everything's good. Like, is everything okay? Because um, yeah. I'm thinking like, you know, does something happen? Because, um, you know, we can be recallable for things at any time as well. So then, um, I, like I said, I'm into this bodybuilding thing now. So like I'm posting on my social media via Instagram, um, you know, workout pictures. I'm posting like pictures of my food. I'm posting like, you know, uh, me doing cardio or like, yeah. you know, sweaty selfies. And so like, that's normal, right? Anyone in the fitness community knows that like, that's what we do. So I'm doing that and I start getting these like comments and these likes from him. And mm. so I'm like, what? Like, why? Like, I didn't even know he was like following me. And so I look at his uh, friends list. Who is he following? And it's a lot of people from the command, men, women, like anybody, everybody. Like, yeah. I guess that's just what he does. And that's what I told myself at the time. Like, oh, okay. He's just following everybody. This is normal. Um, <clears throat> right. Like trying to justify it, but I like something was off. Right. When I'm like getting these, every single picture I'm posting is being liked by this person. I'm like, that's weird. Like that's kind of unprofessional. Um, okay. Uh, so I just kind of like write it off and, um, then <laughs> I, like I said, I'm back at the command. Well, well, quick, was he, back. was he ever commenting on any of these pictures or anything like that? Or yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So most of it was likes um, yeah. and like publicly commenting, right? Like, no. But then I like on my stories, you could like reply to a story and then it'll DM you a message. Mm -hmm. And so like he would do that a lot. But like it wasn't anything outwardly inappropriate. It was just like, Oh, like I would post a picture of my food. That's a lot of what I would post on my stories, yeah. like the healthy food that I was eating. Like, oh, how did you make that? What's your recipe? Oh, I like this, or I usually get this from the store. So it was like, oh, he was like started. trying to uh, create these trying like, to Trader Joe, trying to yeah, trying, started starts yeah. with the Trader Joe's, starts with the Cobb salad. Like he trying to, right, <laughs> that's what he was doing, right. Creep, creeping in through the Cobb salad and the avocados. <laughs> so yeah, I. Uh, uh, he was doing that for a while. Um, and then I get back to the command. And um, shortly after I'm back, and I'm like in this workup, you know, cycle now, because like I said, before you go on an appointment, you had to do the workup. So I like joined them, you know, halfway through their workup. So I'm doing that. Um, and I'm not even in the office, right, with my department. I'm like outside of the department already doing all this other stuff. So that was good, right? But so I didn't uh -huh. have to be around those people that were like doing all, talking all this shit about me. Um, but I want to say I was with them for maybe a month and I'm approached by the LPO 
of the department. And she like, she pulls me into the bathroom. Like we're in the bathroom, just both of us talking at work. And she's like, Hey, like, I just wanted to let you know that there's a picture of you um, and your bikini floating around a group chat with, you know, all of these people on it. And all of these people are like chiefs and Mm. senior chiefs at the command, not just in my department, but in like various departments. Yeah. And so (laughs) I think my reaction honestly was just to laugh. You know, I was just like, here, like what the, like here we are again. Like what, like, what do you mean? So, and, and I was surprised at my reaction too, because it was very much like, you know, whatever, like whatever. Um, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's wrong, but whatever. So she tells me that and I'm just like, okay, um, thank you. Like, that's awful. And uh, then shortly after, I was approached by another lieutenant, another random lieutenant, um, asking me to go and talk to her because she's conducting an investigation. Mm. So... um now at this point, I'm like, okay, here we go again. Um, and I just give her everything that I had, all of the messages on Instagram, all of the text messages. Um, and I wrote down how, how every single interaction made me feel. And because that's what you have to do. Like side note, like if this is happening to you, document everything, document mm-hmm. everything and say how it made you feel, dates and timestamps, everything. Um, and I'm so glad that I did have it all documented and screenshotted. I think something in me knew that like, I might need this. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, good. Um, I give all that to her and I told, I told her what was recently revealed to me about the screen, the um, group chat or whatever. I don't know what came of that, but, um. Yeah. So then after I give her all my stuff, I want to say a short time after another first class in the department. Um, by the way, like another thing that was good for me during my um, like recovery in between my um, first deployment and then coming back to the command was I was uh, promoted to E6. So that was really cool mm. um, to like be able to have done that. So another first class in the department. Um, she came to me and the other girl and we were all talking at this point and she was like, yeah, um, did you guys get like interviewed for an investigation? And we were like, yeah. And so she tells us what he, he was doing with her, which was like same, like late night text messages, making her feel uncomfortable. Like that was his motive, right? The texting and the, and the uh, inappropriate conversations and stuff like that. So come to find out uh, we collectively, myself, those other two first classes, and then some other women from another command found out that there was probably like 11 of us. Mm. A lot sort of, there, yeah, yeah. That, that came forward in the investigation. So like, yeah, he had been yeah. doing this. The Bill, so, Cosby, the, the Bill Cosby numbers. Like the numbers just, <laughs> just start adding up, right? funny. I mean, that's what yes. it is. Like one person mm-hmm. is brave enough to come out and then the numbers just start piling up. Like it's crazy. Yep. And so um, honestly, and the common theme is, I, I think this is worth saying, like amongst all of us that didn't say anything until there was an investigation that was brought to us because we didn't want 
that stigma around our name. Like you don't want to be somebody who just wants to work, wants to get the job done in the special operations community that is a troublemaker, that is just one of those girls. You don't want to because they're going to take opportunities away from you. You're going to be shunned. You're going to be ostracized. And so like, it's so much easier honestly, to not, it's like to not say anything or at least it seemed that way right in the moment. Yeah. But then looking back and the effects of not saying anything are so much more detrimental in the end. But like, that's just kind of the environment that you're in. Um, and honestly, I don't know what to say with that. I think it's on a case by case, right? Like if you find yourself in that position, I think you have to do what's best for you and what you can handle at that time. You know, like I'm not going to tell anybody, like if you're going through that and somebody's harassing you, um, that you have to report it no matter what. Like, no, you have to do what you think is the safest route for you. Mm. Um. Yeah. Now so, I, I deal with I deal with before you go, I deal with having like other male chiefs that get upset when they're when they find out later, like are super late that their woman seller, their lady seller was going through something, you know, and they didn't know about it. Like some of my friends, man, they get mad, you know? And like, is it anything that they should know or anything to say to those to those guys? Because I think about that too. It's like a lot of women like, well, I'm going to report when I want. Nobody can make me report, stuff like that. But it's a lot of dudes that just get so mad. Like, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known. Yeah, I um, I don't understand. I, I don't know if I fully understand where the anger would come from. Um, however, yeah. like, it, I don't think that any of that would be their fault, right? For not knowing. I think mm-hmm. the best way to, you know, prevent you know, harassment from happening in the first place is to be the example, to set the example for, for your peers, right? And and let everybody know what you stand for and what you stand against. Um, yeah, then you but still... It's, I think it's yeah. a personal thing. Yeah, because it's, 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 yeah, right? it's still going to be some creepy... Yeah, it's still yeah. going to be some creepy-ass outliers yeah. that's very secretive about their creepiness. Exactly. And as a as a you know, female or male, right? If you find yourself in a position where you're being preyed upon or you're being harassed, like, yes, if you can and you're willing, you know, report it. But like, I feel like there's just so many other factors that play into not wanting to. And number one is being like your safety, right? And the culture or the environment at the time. Like, I think there's so many, there, there's separate cultures that can exist where there's, it, it's not an environment where you feel safe to report anything, yeah. you know, like people might fear retaliation, um, ostracized being like, like rumors being made up against them. Um, they might have their own personal goals, right. That had they reported it, it would cause roadblocks for them. So I think it's just, it's a variable, like there's some, there's different variables that you have to take into consideration. But, and, and if, for those like chiefs out there or leaders who may be like, man, I wish they would have just told me like the best thing that you can do to encourage that is to create that environment um, where they feel comfortable talking to you um, or reporting something by right standing up for what you believe in and standing against 
the 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 predatory behavior. So so now, right at this point now is it's like mid investigation for the senior chief, right? Yeah. So at this point, and I, I'm not following the investigation. I'm not getting any reports about the investigation. And honestly, I don't, I don't even care. Like I'm so focused at this point on like my bodybuilding. Um, I'm getting ready for my first pro show um, before I go on my deployment. So yeah. So I, I, I ended up right completing my um, first show that went successful. So I became a pro. And so like, that was awesome for me, right? A big boost of confidence and like vital in my recovery after those traumatic things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like part of my story and I mentioned in my podcast is like uh, a non-conventional way of like healing, right? So for me, I felt like I was able to heal myself by getting into bodybuilding by like getting my confidence back by, by proving to myself that I could truly do anything. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I'm getting ready for my first pro show and then I go on my deployment. I'm not concerned about, you know, this investigation, this person, whatever. Um, and then the second deployment, I think it's worth sharing went off really well. Like, like I was, awesome. Like the job was great. I excelled at the job. Like we were just winning, like not just me, but like the team, we were winning. It was great. Um, and, and all of the, um, you know, the guys there, cause it's uh, obviously predominantly male, like we're very supportive, like not predatory at all. Like, you know, just good quality, good character people that I was, you know, exposed to that I was able to work around. Like it, it was just great. Um, and so it was awesome to be able to see that. And then not only to see that, but to be able to finally, right, complete a deployment and mm-hmm. not only complete it, but like successfully complete it. And so yeah. I don't care about proving that to them. At this point, I had to prove that to myself because I felt like that is kind of what got me into all of this in the first place was that like, that need to um, prove to myself and to these people that I was going to get done with a deployment. And you guys are going to see that I am meant to be here and that I'm going to do great. And so like, that was good to finally have had that opportunity. Um, And so I was away, you know, from everything, from everybody, from my like comfort of bodybuilding for that deployment. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, we had a gym, but like, it wasn't the same. I wasn't able to prep my food. I wasn't able to like talk to my people um, like normal. And so I don't want to say it, it got me back into like a depression per se, not while I was there because I was like still working, but I didn't have my like coping mechanism. And so like be reminded, I had never went to therapy and actually unpacked and like dealt with this and like got, you know, research-based and like, you know, therapeutic techniques to, to do anything. Yeah, I haven't done any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just on, on this deployment and just like dealing with it myself, right? And so um, COVID happened. We were supposed to come back in March. Yeah, we we're supposed to come back from deployment in March. And I want to say I started seeing like stuff on the news about COVID maybe in like December. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, 
this fear started building up within me like, oh no, like we're going to get extended. Sure enough, our deployment was extended by like another three months. So the six month deployment turned into a nine month deployment. And so like that extension period was really rough for me because I was really ready to get back. Um, Cause I just, I felt like my like coping mechanism and all, I was just like dwindling away. I needed to get back home to, to get back into bodybuilding and then to get therapy. Um, and so that last three months was pretty rough. Um, but then also something that is important to like my mental health and recovery um, and just trauma and my diagnosis is what was happening on that deployment too. So while what was happening wasn't like a harassment, assault type thing, it was very much like having to see and witness um, the awful things that come with, you know, being in a combat situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only was I seeing these things and hearing about these things that are not pretty um, and like, you know, directly involved in it, I was, we were also getting mortared like once or twice a month. And so like hearing those loud noises and being waking up out of your sleep to have to go run into a bunker and hide with a bunch of people in a small space for, you know, upwards of two or three hours at a time, like that's awful. And so having to participate and be involved in things like that, like really affected me on a level that I didn't know that it would. I think I'm like, I'm at home for like the first two weeks because I have to ROM. And so during that two weeks, um, I'm, you know, doing my post-deployment health assessment. And then I get in contact with the therapist at the command. So we talk and she's like, yes, you need like therapy every week. So I'm on ROM and I'm seeing a therapist and we're talking once a week. Um, So after ROM, like that part, I think we can all relate, right? We all went through COVID together. Um, You know, we kind of handled ROM each a little differently, Mm -hmm. but it kind of created this environment that was like not the norm for any of us. So we all had to like adapt and adjust. Um, So there was a little bit of that for me, but honestly, I I kind of enjoyed the time um, just to be home by myself. I don't know what just Away happened. from... Yeah, <laughs> what was that? A hurricane? Dogs, What's going on? Earthquake? <laughs> <laughs> Earthquake going on over there. There's a lot going <laughs> on The whole over world here. shook. I was like, oh man. Hawaii, <laughs> careful out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I didn't mind in uh, being in ROM, but like it, eventually I had to go back to work. Yeah. Um, And so I had to get back to work and I started getting panic attacks. So I would go into Mm. the building and I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, I'd go into the building, I would go in our office space and then I would see the same faces of the people that were talking shit about me. Or I would just think about that experience. And then I would see, you know, the, the, the office of the senior chief that was, you know, harassing me and all these people. And then I would think about that And then I would have to interact with that chief from earlier in the story, the one that was just a straight asshole. Yeah. He was in there. And we were at quarters one time and he had said, he had made a joke, a very like sexually inappropriate joke in front of everybody. And like that just set me off at that point. 
um, that's when it got really bad. Like the panic. It's when I knew I was experiencing a panic attack because my yeah. face got red. My heart started beating. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then I had this like, uh, this, this like, you know, how when you're about to cry, but like you're holding it back and you can't. Um, like this lump in my throat. That's what you call it. And it's not mm-hmm. like it wasn't a lump because I was going to cry. It was just there. And so, and I was just hot. I just felt so uncomfortable. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but I knew that I never wanted to feel like that again. Yeah. So after I experienced that, I went straight to my car and I just let out a big, long cry. And I was just angry like just profusely angry. And I was just thinking about everything. So it was just like, it was crazy. Like it was a crazy episode. Um, and I go home that day and uh, I get a text from, or I actually texted my LPO and I was like, Hey, um, like we need to talk about me like on an alternate schedule or something. Um, and so I, she calls me and we talk and like, she's not really qualified or authorized to make this decision anyway. Um, but I was trying to, you know, get her to talk to the power that be so that he could authorize that. But so she was just like unreceptive to it. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. All right. So I call up the master chief, um, the, the new SEL who's in charge. And I tell him what's going on. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm not come like, I'm not coming back into that building. Like I'm having panic attacks. Like if you need me to be somewhere, like my place of duty is going to be at the mental health hospital because I refuse to step back in that building. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this is like concerning for him, but I'm trying to protect myself. I'm like, I, I just don't want to go through that again. Um, and so he gets me on the phone with a psychologist at the command and we talk about it. And the psychologist kind of talks me through the experience that I had and he makes me feel a lot better. Um, and so the next step was for me to um, talk to my therapist during our regular Um, appointment session. So I ended up taking leave until my next appointment with her. Um, And we talked. And so the plan forward was to get her to talk to my SEL and give him like a letter or something that stated that the recommendation from medical was for me to not have to go into that building unless it was to do my checkout stuff because I was um, well on my way to uh, checking out of the command. Um, mm-hmm. to PCS to Hawaii, where I'm at now. So all of that worked out and, and it went pretty well. And that was my, oh, I was so excited to have like, to just get on that plane, to get away from that place. Um, so that feeling was also like coupled with me being like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to kick my feet up. Like, this is my last like two years in the Navy. It's time for me to prepare to like get out. I even had this like list that I had made of things that I needed to do to prepare myself to start um, separating from the Navy. Uh Um, And like, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting out, like prepare now, even if you don't get out, like you don't know how many times especially in these days, right? With our admin, like people are like, oh, I'm going to get out and in a year and they start trying to do everything. Like you can't wait till the last year. You got to start. You got to start as soon as you know. So anyways, I started doing that and, um, uh, what's the word? So things take a turn and turns out I don't get out. Um, (laughs) fast forward, (laughs) like (laughs) fast forward, like two, two and a half years. I'm like reenlisting for another six years. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so we get into like how that kind of changed. But I think that that that's kind of the amazing part of the story, right? Is that I went through all of that and I my mind was in such a negative place surrounding like being in the Navy, staying in the Navy because I had been failed over and over and over again by my leadership. And I felt unsupported and I felt unsafe. And I was like, here are these, you know, policies are to protect me. But like, obviously I didn't use them fully. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that once they were utilized, um, something did happen, right? Um, But I just felt so unsupported and unsafe and I couldn't trust anybody, like anybody. And I, and I said, this is not where I need to be. Like, I'm not going to keep giving my time and my effort and, and the sacrifice to this organization that, that I felt this way about. Um, and that was due to the actions of those people. And I had to realize that, that it wasn't the Navy. It was the actions of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So how do you feel about senior leadership now? Yeah, I, I, so... Um, I think that there's bad apples in every community, whether that's the Navy, the Army, the civilian sector. um, And I think there's bad apples up and down the ranks, right? And so it Mm -hmm. took me a while um, to to really like not place the blame on that group of senior leaders, on just senior leaders in general. Um, And I will, I'll say, right, like once I PCS to Hawaii, um, I immediately took on a role as a division LPO because like we were just undermanned. Um, and so I, I started that and I had a chief. And I will say that this chief is the reason, um, one of the biggest reasons that I stayed in because I finally saw, like I finally got that support and it like started with him just saying, thank you. Um and and it had been so long since somebody told me thank you just a simple thank you thank you for what you're doing thank you for your help um that it was just such a shock it was so shocking and like the way that it made me feel i won't forget um and so just continuing to work with him and build that relationship and just to see how genuine and true and authentic he cared about his sailors but not only his mm-hmm. sailors but like pouring that like mentorship into me, I was like, wow, like, like this is awesome. Um, and it kind of sparked this, this drive in me to want to be that and give that to others. And so that's what I started to do. Um, you know, build those relationships with my sailors and, you know, stick up for them if they needed me to and advocate for them and provide them with the resources that they needed and just talk to them and listen to them. And just like, I just took on this role of like, mama I don't know. Bear. It was, it was like, just, like, yeah. Like, like, mama bear. <laughs> but, but you know, we talked before and I told you, I compare you to the, the girl with the bird, the mm-hmm. wounded bird mm-hmm. that's just trying to get this bird to fly again. Like that's how I, like, that's how I look at your like love for the Navy. Like, Hey, I'm a, you know, yeah. This bird will fly. Like I don't care how withered it is. I'm giving it some bird feed. At some point, this bird will get up right. and fly or whatever. I'm a little different. Definitely. I'm like the yeah. I'm like the I'm like the teen brother, the adolescent brother who might play on a sports team or whatever. Come home every now and then and rough my little brother up. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like it's out of love, but I'm you know I'm roughing it up. Like we get on our podcast every now and then and we 
we throw a little bit of taps, you know, to things that we think can right. get better. Uh, listening to you, though, I know you got a deep love for it. And then I also know you really care and you're going to try your best, like try your best to like nurse a lot of these things back to health. So I could see you doing that with your, you know, your junior sellers. Now, through all of this, though, you get to Hawaii and it's still another mental health uh, thing you got to go through because now you you still want to see a therapist in, in Hawaii, right? Now, how does that go mm-hmm. for you? Yeah, so... um so my therapist leaving Virginia, she was like, you need to continue therapy. Like, like you need to, this is what you need to do to get better. And so I yeah. had built this relationship. I started trusting therapy. It was going well. And so I said, yes, you're right. So I'm, that's what I'm going to do. So we know, we all know when we check in, you know, you got to drop off your medical records and all that. So as soon as I drop off my medical record, you know, I request to speak to someone and um, I tell them like, I need to get into mental health immediately. And I don't, <laughs> I guess maybe that was like weird for them because um, I, it was obvious that the person I was talking to was uncomfortable. So he was like, oh, okay, yeah, um, um, give me a second, I'll call you back. So he calls uh-huh. me back like five minutes later. Um, and then he puts the doctor on the phone and she's like asking me questions. And um, I tell her what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, hey, I just came back from this command. I just came off this deployment. Like I've been seeing a counselor regularly. Now that I'm here, I have to see there. I have to seek therapy through, um, you know, here. And so she's like, okay, well, she listens. And she's like, well, are you like suicidal? Are you going to hurt yourself? And I'm like, no. Um, and so she was like, well, we only, it's just what she said. She was like, well, we only give uh, therapy referrals to like our deployers and you're on a short command. Mm. And so I was not expecting that, but this is my first time too, going through like seeking out therapy or mental health through like the regular Navy um, healthcare system, right? Because the special operations community healthcare system is a little different. Um, They have, it's like very, not privatized because it's still the Navy, but like it's very much their own, their own doctors, their own providers, like, they have everything they need right there. You don't have to outsource mm-hmm. it to a regional uh, facility or anything like that. So yeah. yeah, that was my first interaction. I was very surprised. I was like, um, okay. So I didn't really argue with her because I didn't know much about it. So I immediately, you know, text my uh, therapist that I was working with. And, you know, she's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And she's a civilian social worker. So like she's, but she's been working with the military. So she... She um, gives, she tells me to give her contact information to them um, and have them reach out to her. So they did. And she talked to them. She gave me, um, she gave them my notes and then they gave me the referral. So uh, that was like a week process, I want to say, to finally be able to get the referral. I want to say a month later was my actual appointment. And it's still COVID time. So it was virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really like my therapist. He sounded like such a surfer bro and just very like inauthentic and just like, I don't know. I don't know. I did not vibe with this therapist like at all. Mm-hmm. So I want to say I saw him for like three sessions. three Yeah, three sessions. And it was spread out across like every month. So like for three months, I'm like going to therapy with this dude and it's not working out. It sounded like he was like reading from a textbook. So I tell this part because like, guys, if you're in, a, you're, you're in therapy and you don't like your therapist, that's okay. Get another one because you're entitled to do that. So I did not vibe with him. And uh, 
So I was like, hey, like, actually, like, can we just see a psychiatrist? Because I didn't, I also did not want to wait. I went from having therapy once a week to once a month. And then after three months or four months, actually, after not like having my regular therapy appointments, I was just kind of like over it. Like, like whatever at this point, like just give me some meds because I can't afford to fall back to where I was. Cause that's what I was scared of. Honestly, like, like, uh, a trigger and a trauma for me was to think about getting back to such a low place. Like I don't ever want to get there again. So I was scared. And so I asked to speak to psychiatrist and he was like, cool, no problem. So I got in with the psychiatrist. We talked, he prescribed me some anti-anxiety medication, some antidepressant medication. um, And things started, you know, improving, going on the up and up. So I want to say after, you know, my, my medication stabilized, I got back into therapy. It was still every month, right? Because I come to find out, um, cause I, I do my research. Um, there's just a, a shortage of providers on the Island, um, a major shortage and not just providers on the Island, but like in the Navy and the military and then in the entire country. And so yeah. like, I'll just plug that in too. Like, that's another reason why I saw the need for something like a a podcast to give people tools and resources that they might otherwise have had to wait um, to see a therapist or to talk to somebody about when maybe they didn't need a a therapist or a clinician, you know? So. Yeah. um, And and y'all drop a, y'all drop a whole lot of Jews on your podcast, you and the, and and you're guessing, and we're going to get into that in in a second. But before we do, I got a question for you. While you were going through everything you were going through, how's your dad? Because you describe your dad as, to me, I see him as like this manly, you know, lawnmower in one hand, bear in the other hand, shirt off, you know, like just this manly dude or whatever. Um, Real mm-hmm. macho, weightlifting and stuff. That's just how I mm-hmm. project it, right? Yep. Be your dad. No, so I know, him. you know. Yeah, so... When you going through all of this, do you even tell him? Or are you like, nah, he's probably going to rip somebody's head off if I tell him about this? Yeah, so, <laughs> no, that's funny. that He's very much that, like, macho, you know, very protective guy. So, yeah, no, I knew better than to tell him anything while I was going through it. One, yeah. because I was like, uh, he might act a fool. And then two, because I felt embarrassed. Like, I, I had always kind of wanted to, like, make him proud and, you know, um, keep that, like, pure um like representation of myself in his eyes and so i didn't want to tell him that out of fear that it would like change his opinion of me um and that's that's kind of it kind of sucks too right yeah 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 to think that you're like some shit that happened to you it'll it'll change how your dad thinks about you man that's rough yeah it was uh so i didn't tell him um, the only person that I really talked to about it at the time and just just even now was was my best friends, like my best girlfriends. Um, one of them's in the military, one of them's not. Um, but I had their support and was able to talk to them about it. And yeah, we just went on, but uh, I kept a lot of it in. And so, yeah, I did not talk to my dad. Um, but he knows now because I, you know, I'm out here uh, with my story now. I talk about it yeah. on my podcast and, you know, I was telling him about the podcast and I was like, hey, yeah, you should listen to it. But like, hey, just know like 
you know, the first episode is kind of what I went through and you don't have to listen to that one if you don't want to, but it's probably going to make you mad. So, um, (laughs) he ended up listening to it and we talked about it and, you know, he was just like, I'm very, you know, proud of you for what you're doing now. And, you know, his thoughts were not skewed. And, you know, he was like, I kind of expected, you know, something like that to happen, unfortunately. So, you know, I'm very proud of like how you handled it and navigated through it because, um, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, you're just strong. So it was yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Strong is strong is like a double entendre too, you know, especially. Oh yeah. Right. And, like the bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your life is it's a double entendre. Now, when it comes to bodybuilding, you won, you won something, right? Like you won mm-hmm. a competition. Was this your first or your second one? That was my first one that I swept. I swept the show. I uh, I won every single. I won first place in every category that I competed in, and that was four categories. So I ended so up getting focus, my focus. pro card. Yeah, 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 I was like, and that's just kind of me too. Like, if there's one word that I can like put to describe myself, it's probably like tenacious. Like, if I want something, I'm gonna get it, and I'm gonna stop. So by yeah. all means, right? So. I ended up doing that. I accomplished that goal. Like I said earlier, like that was huge for me. Um, And then the second show that I competed in, which was the end of my, you know, competition uh, phase, um, I had gotten fourth place in my pro show. So it was, it was a pretty successful run and I'm glad that I did it. Is it over for you? Um, For now, for now, I honestly, like when I was doing the bodybuilding thing, I didn't have dogs at the time, but I also, um, they fight. They're like, he got the zoomies. <laughs> yeah, you're going crazy. He has the zoomies though. He's like running around crazy. Yeah, they're going crazy. You know, we've been building our audience. Hey, wild. For the listener, hey, for the listeners, Stop. Man, you know, we've been growing our audience. She got some furry friends over here, man. You know, some furry friends. We talked on Thursday. They wasn't this crazy. You know, it was later. They were not. It was, it, it was later. I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. This might stay in the episode. This might get edited out. I don't know what's going to happen, but these dogs are going crazy over here. I want to, I want to. Nah, it's all good. Like in the midst of these dogs going crazy, here's my question. What do you believe your purpose is? <laughs> yeah. So actually it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that you asked that because my therapist, the one that I actually uh, found here in Hawaii that I did like the second one, that was one of the first questions that she had asked me, like, what Uh is your purpose? And I had never really thought about that before, like ever. Um, And so after thinking about it and, you know, just thinking about like what I care about, what I'm passionate about, what I like to do and, and what, how that makes me feel, I landed on my purpose being to like help people. Um, and I think that maybe that's a very like general thing, like doctors help people. Um, there's a lot of different fields where you can help people, but for me specifically, right. I want to help people. I want to help sailors. I want to help younger sailors, uh, feel empowered, um, to stand up for what is right. I want them to feel empowered to speak up. I want them to feel empowered to hold the standard and I want them to know, right, that like there's good people around that will protect Mm -hmm. and shield them from the bad people. And I kind of saw it as like a a calling. 
Um, yeah. And so that's what I want to do. Not because I have to, but I genuinely enjoy doing that. And so, yeah, if I had to say what my purpose is, it's to help people. So would and right you ever, now that's helping people in the Navy. Would you ever work in a mental health field professionally? You know, I have always been um, interested in psychology. Uh-huh. But... I don't know that if I don't know that I could uh, handle not handle, but I don't know if I just would want to work with people as a full time job. Not that I don't like people. I love them. But I'm also like, like, I like numbers and just like, like focusing on certain things. Like my goal, ultimately, like when I do get out of the Navy would probably be to like, work as like a data analyst or in like, you know, like business mm-hmm. intelligence or something. So, because I like problems, I like solving problems. And um, that's what I think I would want to do afterwards. Still, right? Like care and help people. But I don't know if I want to like be an actual, you know, social worker or therapist full time. Yeah. Now, speaking about if like... that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, speaking about solving problems, like do you have any self-care practices? So... You know, I got a, I got one I'm going to talk to you about. It's, it's actually specified to work. I call it preventative stress practice. So preventative stress practices for me, my biggest one now is just saying no, right? At work, right? So, you know, we always talk about how people deal with stress after they get it and how resilient people could be. Uh, one of mine at work now is saying no. Uh, since I was a E1, probably for like the first eight, seven, eight years of my career, I never said no. Like I said, yes to like everything. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. And that carried over to even being a chief. I do this, uh, you know, and my mom. So my mom always would ask me like, yo, why? Like, you don't have to do that. Why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. I'm like, yo, mom, I do. Like, I'm a team player. Like, what you mean? I'm just, just the military. Like, I always thought like, yo, just commit, 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 commit. To a point, at one point in my career, I was burnt out. And like somebody over me, I didn't know I was really burnt out, but I was, I had been working like 13 days straight or something. Somebody over me came in my office during lunch and it was my first lunch. I worked through lunch for like 13 days. This was the first lunch I decided to take. And somebody had got me some Popeyes, right? So I'm eating Popeyes chicken and they come in and I talked about this on a pod before. The people above me, they came into my office and they started talking to me about something that we had to do in November. And it was like August. Now, so, so y'all coming, I, I didn't work 13 days straight. Y'all coming in here and talk about putting heaters on y'all patrol craft in November and it's August. And I said something that like, you know, I wasn't looking at them when they were talking. I was eating my food. It was lunch. I worked in the same office as my officers and my chiefs. I was the LPO. My chiefs were in there. I'm eating my food. And they said something to me. And I responded. I got in trouble for this. I got like fired as an LPO for a little bit. A whole bunch of stuff, right? I got in trouble for it. But for me, my biggest lesson learned from... I had a whole lot of lessons learned out of this. But my my biggest lesson learned was like, I need to prevent this from happening. I need need to take my own kind of precautions to prevent this from happening. So one of the things was to make sure that I... For me, it was like, all right, I'm going to respect lunch, right? And I'm going to respect other people's lunch. But another thing was like, all right, I have to start saying no. I mean, this was shore duty. I was coming to work on Saturday sometime, troubleshooting stuff. So I was like, all right, let me start saying no. So I've started saying no a lot. You know what I mean? The thing is now when I do decide to work, or not when I decide to work, I'm always working. 
But when I do do something, I'm going to give you 100%. But I'm not, going, I'm not doing everything anymore. You know, I'm not pushing to be a part of this, a part of that, a part of this, a part of that. So if you, like, you could just meet me, you know, and I could say no to you day one. You know what I mean? And that might not be a good impression. Like, oh, this dude don't want to do nothing. But day two, day three, you know, it's going to be something that I do. So I wanted to know from you, do you have any of those things like work-related that you use to kind of keep yourself in a good mental space? Yeah, so I'm not I'm not even going to front. Like, I struggle so much with, like, what you just talked about. Um, and I have to work really hard every single day to be able to say no. And that yeah. comes from a place of just, like, me caring so much and wanting to, you know, fix everything um, mm-hmm. for everyone. And it, it took... It took until I met a really great, um, solid mentor to really just kind of, you know, pull me aside and say, hey, I'm watching you. I see you. And this is what you need to do. Because if you don't, then it's it's not going to be well, especially as you move through the ranks. And so I listened to her and, you know, what she recommended to me. And it kind of goes along with, you know, you saying no and, you know, making sure you do those preventative things is to set boundaries. And so Mm -hmm. I had to set boundaries. So these are specific hours when I was available for people to just approach me with anything um, or with admin. And so I started with that. And so it's progressively been getting better with me setting boundaries. So a lot of people will see, you know, my work ethic or they want me to help them with something because they know that they can depend on me. Um, And so I tend to just want to help, right? I want to help everybody and do everything. So, and then I, so then I had to realize, all right, I have to start saying no to helping with these projects or to being a part of these things. Um, And that was hard too, because I want to help. And and it's really difficult to say no. But I will say that after, you know, some months of practice, um, it has definitely made things a lot easier. And honestly, just recently, I had to set the hard boundary. Like, no, you will not stay at work past a certain time. And so I had to start you know, unwillingly, like forcing myself. I even had yep. an accountability partner. I had my had my warrant officer like, hey, no, you make me leave this building at this time. Um, and so that that's helped too, right? Because then I have time at home with my dogs and time to, to focus on me um, as far as like my physical health. Because I, like you asked me if I was ever going to get back into bodybuilding, like I don't have time. And mm-hmm. I want to eventually because that's something that is for me, purely for me. But I just don't have the time um, to do that. And so as I've started to like take on more and more of these things at work, I have definitely not been able to balance like the me part. And so I haven't, you know, been working out as often as I would want to um, because I'm like, oh, I'll just stay at work, you know, an extra two hours or, you know, instead yeah. of going to the gym. Yeah, yeah, we pushed that off. Finding that balance is really hard. Um, It's still hard. And you have to be really disciplined um, in order to do that and uh, give yourself some grace. I think that's also one of the biggest parts, right? It's like give yourself some grace and know that you deserve to be taken care of too. 
you said you were very active in the Reddit space. That's where you get a like a lot of information and talk, you know, talk to sellers and stuff at, right? Yeah. So um Reddit and on Facebook. Um uh-huh. a lot of a lot of our sailors today um and the newer generation are very, very active on social media. Um, and I am too. And I think social media is a great resource um, to find out data, uh, yeah. organic data. Um, and so that's that's not where it started, but that's where I'm at with it now. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to Reddit, I, um, I would often go onto Reddit and see um, sailors post either questions about how to get mental health care. And then the biggest, the other biggest thing was they would post about um, how difficult it was to get mental health care. And then the last biggest thing, you know, that really resonated was they would post about just like their toxic leadership or situations that would get them you know, wanting to seek mental care or to get separated from the Navy or to just feel at a complete loss. So they were just very like dark and discouraging posts um, that I would see or the other ones, like I said, were questions about how to get help. And so I realized, and, and like this is coming up like every single day. And yeah. that that's when I realized like, hey, um, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect. There's a problem. There's something going on and our sailors don't know how to get the care that they need. Um, And not only that, but like they're suffering. And so like, again, I mentioned earlier, like that's where the idea for the podcast came from. It's like, we, I, I want to do whatever I can. And it ended up being like this podcasting platform to provide resources and knowledge to sailors and service members on how to get the care that they are entitled to as well as give them tools and resources that they can use to like help themselves and cope and get through things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, like, I, I look at you like a connector. Like, it's a good connector. Yeah, point. Like, it's cool. Yeah, it's you, cool to you, like be yeah. able to. Yeah. And I told you before that, like, you know, I'm not saying that this is an absolute fact, but a thought in my head is if I would be afraid, you know, to go seek mental health myself, um, because I would be concerned about how my like ability to lead would come in a question between sellers and junior sellers. So, like I said, I've grown a lot, you know, recently where I do believe that I would go seek mental health, and I advocate. I, I always advocate my sellers to go. You know, like we don't need, like, like we don't need you here more than you need to take care of yourself. Because a lot of people get that, right. like, yo, I need to be on a team. I got to you know, you need to take care of yourself first because that's that's the muscle that, you know, that kind of moves everything. But when it comes to me, I'm not sure what I would do if I was in that situation. You know, I would like to think that I would go report. But then I also, it's a part of me somewhere that believes, I don't know, like what I just go through it. You know, what I just like, you know, like my knee, for instance, like it's like, yo, I could just push through the PFA. Like, like can I just push through? You know, how long can I push through or whatever? Because I like, I don't want anybody to question my ability to lead. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm personally, you know, still not sure what I would do. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I think that that is a a good thing that you brought up. And I was thinking about it a little bit more. 
And as you were talking, it's like, it's okay to feel like that um, because it is a new, it's new, it's changing. Um, Bottom line is you should take care of yourself. And what that looks like doesn't always have to be going to see a mental health care provider, right? So you said, you know, maybe you you would just push through, like if you would push through a knee injury. Well, you know, our bodies are powerful and our bodies are healing. Like eventually over time, your knee is going to heal and you're going to be okay. Even if you don't get medical treatment, that treatment might just speed it up. So the same with like a mental health issue, right? Or maybe like depression or anxiety. Like there are ways to get better um, to build that resilience, to build that toughness that don't always involve um, getting in front of a therapist or a provider um, or that can act as a band-aid until you are able to get that. And so like, I just wanted to say that too, like it's okay if you don't feel comfortable. Um, but then to the idea that it would question your you know, leadership ability, I don't think that it would at all, but that's just my personal opinion, right? Leaders mm-hmm. set the example. And the example that we want to set for our sailors and anybody that we lead should be to get seek out help if you need it. Um, and what whatever that looks like is is what it looks like. But yeah, I yeah. think that. Because it'll absolutely hinder, you know, it'll hinder my ability to yeah. lead, you know, uh, no matter it what. Per, yeah, no matter what perception is. I mean, and, and we deal in perception a lot. But I know it's a lot of people like that that's like not 100% sure, you know, what exactly they would do. But at some point, you're going to be hurting yourself and others more than right. you're helping. You know what I'm saying? At, at some point, you know, especially when you're trying to play hero ball. You know, that's what I, I kind of call a hero ball. So I would love to think, my wife works in mental health too. So I would love to think oh, that wow. I would kind of know. Yeah, she's a clinical, she's a, she's a therapist. She works, she do like DV and all wow, that stuff. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah well, then you, yeah. Got, you got it right there. You could just talk to your wife. <laughs> Oh, no. Nobody would have to know. can't do that. Uh, No, she... she, uh, It's like, it's your wife. It's your wife. I know those rules, yeah. You've seen her, her, like, spill the spaghetti which she shouldn't have. Like, 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 I don't want any advice from you. Like, and that's just a joke. That's just a joke. But so... I know, I know. I want to talk about my introduction to Caesar Triumph, your podcast, right? So, you know, I'm chilling. Um, it's crazy how uh, just this is just a like an interjected thought. It's crazy how we could have the same conversation completely different the second time around. You know, because we told the listeners earlier, like that, you know, we already talked. It's a completely different conversation, y'all. So so it is. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm on a D guts, uh, you know, I follow D guts. And for a period, like he's like out of like putting pods out for some reason. So I'm like, you know, where the hell is D guts? And then like another pod pops up at some point and it's about mental health, right? So I was like, all right, so D-Guts then hooked up with some therapist or something like that. Let's see, you know, let's see how this goes. You know what I'm saying? So I told her the podcast, I'm like, oh man, she ain't a therapist. So I'm like, all right, let me, you know, I'm going to give it a listen. I'm going to see, you know, and that's who I am, right? I'm the, I'm the, all right, let me give it a listen and see what they talking about. And I, I'm telling you, I game plan eight minutes. I game plan to get eight minutes. I'm supporting D-Guts. I'm going to check out what's coming out on the channel. Eight minutes. 33, 37 minutes in, which is pretty much the whole episode. I was captivated. I was like, okay, she got a really good story. But then I completely understood, you know, because it's like, you know, we t- you talked about it earlier. Normally, when we talk about mental health and things like that. You look, People are looking for credentials, right? 
But after the end of the episode, I completely understood why you were on the mission that you were on. And that's why in the beginning, I compared it to like a superhero mission because you got, you know, you got your vigilante superhero, you got this person, you got that person. And that's what I compared. And, and, and of course, it's not, you know, the picture is never perfect because none of us, none of us is, none of us are. It's always a flawed picture. But it was really good to hear somebody with that much passion about advocacy, right? So now what you're doing on Caesar Triumph, you know, so your first episode is you, you know, talking, telling your story. It was the story you told here, a little shorter, um, but talking, telling it, and then you link up, you know, next episode, all right, you know, you're linking up with different people in the field, you know, and it's getting more. You got episodes about, you know, sleep, how important that is. You got episodes about moral injury, how important that is. And at some point, you know, in the very beginning of this podcast, Episode 10 of your podcast, you link up with a pack fleet master chief to Corsic, right? By episode 10 of this budding podcast. How like how does it happen that you link up with one of the four fleet master chiefs in the Navy on your 10th episode? Cause I think this is like yeah. my 73rd. That's like my 73rd <laughs> episode. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> that's like, and, and as important as you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I wouldn't mind a, a fleet master chief for for 74. You know to follow up with right. you, but how? But how that happened with you? You just got out of single digits <laughs> and linked up with a fleet yeah. master chief. Yeah. So, um, one like I said, one thing about me, very tenacious. I'm not going to take credit for it though. And if I'm being 100 percent honest, I didn't realize like. I knew who he was, but I didn't realize like who he was, like, you know, yeah. one of the four fleets, right? I was like, I had to look up like the rank structure of like from the McFon to, <laughs> you know, uh, a CMC. So after I did that, like I get the question now, but um, it's just, I think just being well connected and definitely working in the AOR had helped. So the mm. Intel community is very small. The CT community is even smaller. And so everybody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And uh, my um, boss, uh, he's a warrant officer, his wife worked at Paxley. And so she had connections um, within that building. And she put me in contact with the uh, Fleet Master Chief's aide, who was an MC chief. And uh, she actually started up... Uh, you know, his podcast that comes out every Friday, Fridays with Sleep. And uh-huh. so before, you know, this whole connection situation even got rolling, he was written on my list as like somebody to talk to. And actually yeah. like was like reached out to Dika. It's like, hey, you should get him on your podcast. Like he talks about leadership and like what better person to like, you know, listen to the fleet master chief. So like maybe we could hear what he has to say. Um, and so like, there was this like fear too, that maybe it was going to be like a kind of kiss the baby show. But like, after listening to his, his, um, leadership philosophy, I'm like, he's a very like true and genuine person and mental health is such a big deal. So I got in contact with the aide and we just started talking and she listened to the podcast and I want to give all the credit to her because like, she really like believed in it and supported it and was very adamant about, um, having him help me um, and get on this podcast. And I also think that like he was really happy to do it. 
um, because he he did, he says he doesn't get to interact with a lot of like the sailors anymore. And so um, that's what he likes doing. Um, and he cares a lot about about them. So yeah, it was something that he really wanted to get behind. And I think that's kind of how, how we got here, but I'm very glad that he did. And we did, it was a very great and awesome, um, opportunity and just the type of person that he is and everything that he had to say, it really instilled, um, even more hope in me, um, that, you know, as a Navy in time, we're going to, we're going to get better. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that you do this uh, podcast because I think you get you gain a whole lot from your guest as well. You know, I was oh, listening yeah. to one of your I was listening to one of your episodes with Dr. John Cordell, and it's about sleep, which is a a great episode to have because we all, at some point or, or another, we all are deficient when it comes to sleep, especially on deployments and stuff for those sellers that's not even in combat deployments, just you know going underway to the Mediterranean and stuff like that. Just, uh, just by the way, our sleep schedules are the circadian rhythms and stuff like that, right? But um, mm-hmm. one of the things that he mentioned was that, you know, you never know who you're approaching. You know, like people are fighting these like invisible battles. And he mentioned that somebody could have just put their dog down, you know? And that resonated with me because I had a, a friend of mine, another chief in MS who had just put his dog down, you know? Uh, and... And I, I, I talked to him that morning, just one morning. I'll just say, hey, how you doing? You know, just normal, how you doing? And he was like, man, I'm probably going to be putting my dog down this week, you know? And then I checked up on him, you know, and he had already put his dog down, you know? But it's like, if I didn't ask him that, something like, let's say something went wrong or, you know, it was something. If I didn't ask him that, I wouldn't even know who I was talking to, you know? I'd have been coming at him a different way than the day that he was uh, having in his head. You know, and um, the same thing just happened to me with another chief uh, in, in a committee that I'm a part of. I just so happened to just reach out. Hey, how you doing? This don't have nothing to do. So she have she hasn't really been that active in a committee, but I wasn't even reaching out. I said, this don't have nothing to do with the committee. Just how are you doing? And then she laid something real heavy on me, real heavy, you know. Um, so, yeah, that really resonated with me with what Dr. John Cotto said is that you never know what somebody going through on a day to day. You know, you're expecting them to be 120 and they don't have it in their own head. Yeah, they come into work. We got to be here. You know, um, we're, we're not like we didn't have a breakdown. It's just something happened at home that we're dealing with. You know, so that was a that was a hard hitter for me right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why, and I always try to spread the message, right? You never know what somebody's going through. So be kind all the time, all the time. It's like, just be kind, give people grace. We yeah. all got something that, that we are going through. Yeah. How did you come up with the title, Caesar Triumph? Ah, uh, yes. So I was looking for a very, like, a very, like a catchy name. I didn't want to... Um, have anything boring. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, so, you know, it was a topic of like resiliency. And when I think of uh, resiliency, I think of like breaking through a barrier, um, overcoming something. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm a big like Tupac fan, right? And so he does a lot of poetry, he has raps. Um, and then, so one of the things that resonated uh, from him with me like forever 
long as I can remember, right, is the the rose that grew in the crack from the concrete. And uh-huh. it, it's it's about like resiliency and like breaking through like tough times, hard times, right? It, it, you know, flourishing from from barriers or from nothing or from the ugly. And so that image popped in my head and um, it, it kind of went from there. So in, in my logo, right, it's like a sprout from a brain. Um, and that's kind of my representation of, you know, the poem. However, you know, a seed of triumph, you know, that's where the seed came from, from the sprout. And so a triumph is like winning, overcoming something. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it all interconnected. And uh, I- I'm happy with with where we ended up. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Where can people find it? Where can people find a podcast? Yeah, so the podcast is streaming um, everywhere. Like we, you can look us up in um, the iTunes uh, podcast repository, uh, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, Pandora. Yeah. Like we're it's everywhere, and honestly, it's so easy to do. Like it's so easy. So if you want to make your own podcast and get it out there, like it's it's not that hard. Just yeah, do some research and, and, and have yeah, something. So. Have have a purpose though. Don't just don't, right. <laughs> don't just right. make a pod. You know what I'm saying? Have a purpose. You know, have a purpose. Have a mission, and and, and do that. It's not it's not hard to start one, but have a purpose, please. Instagram, right? Is it Seeds of Triumph on Instagram or Seeds of Triumph? Yep, it is Seeds of Triumph podcast. Seeds um, of Triumph podcast. So that's, and we yeah, have a so, Facebook page too. So, I, so question for you: We do something on this podcast called "Do Better," right? I'm sure you know about it. Do better. I'm gonna put you on the spot here, right? Can Can I have an on the spot do better from you? Yeah, yeah. I need to do better. Um, honestly, right now, if I'm being honest, I need to do better with my like PT and working out. Mm, okay, so you went with yourself. Like, you, you, so you going with yourself on this one, right? I'm going. I'm going with myself, but it, it also like it's it's not just for me too, though, because I just I just ran a whole like uh, CFL uh, cycle, PFA cycle last time, and I put my my uh, physical fitness on the back burner. Yeah. So as we approach this next one, I'm like, damn, like I'm supposed to be the example. Yeah. If I can't keep up, like. You know what does that say? So I need to do better. Mm-hmm. Do better. Yeah. It, outside of podcast, is it anything else that you hope to do with your platform? Mm. I always have tons of ideas. So many ideas. I'm sure that I'm going to end up somewhere else eventually. But you know, as far as the, the podcast goes, you know, I know that there's so many more stories to tell. Um, and you know, I have a lot of people on there that are like higher ranking or that, that, you know, maybe a doctor or, you know, um, have these qualifications, but like, I, I really want to get into like the junior sailors or maybe like the lower sailors mind and, uh, you know, you know, have their point of view. So maybe eventually, you know, I can, um, you know, maybe make a series, um, like that, but I have to, uh, I have to be able to reach them. And so I hope that this podcast is reaching that audience as well, um, because that's really who who I want to help um, and who I want to feel empowered. Yeah, same here. We do too. So sh- yeah, shout out to Junior Sellers. Like I want to, we want to talk to more y'all. We want to yeah. hear from more. Y'all. We really do. Like it, it connects some, for some reason with senior, like senior sellers and stuff like that. 
I mean, it, it might be because it's a podcast and like old people listen to podcasts, something like that. Who knows? I don't know. But um, we definitely want to talk to the to the young sellers and stuff like that. Um, uh, but based off of the uh, things you read and the sellers that you do speak with from via Reddit or these Facebook groups, what's some of the things that you like heard or some of the things you gathered to be the reasons why people don't seek help? Yeah, so um, doing, yeah, doing a lot of research, um, social media being one of the data sources in that, and then, you know, just studies by various um, organizations. Um, I would say that the biggest reason that just not just military members, but people in general don't seek help for mental health is, is because of um, the stigma around it. They're, mm-hmm. they're scared that something is going to happen as a result, whether that be them losing their job or them being made fun of, them being viewed as weak, um, you know, anything that is going to have a consequence. So that is one of the biggest barriers. And then number two, I think not reasons why people don't, but people reasons that people can't get mental health care is because one, they don't know how to. Mm-hmm. And then two, because um, it, it, there's not enough. There's too much demand and not enough supply. Um, and so, you know, we all have to do better at inform, at like knowing what's out there and then informing each other what's out there and how to get it. Um, we can't do much about the lack of mental health providers. But what we can do, right, is what we're doing now is having these conversations and offering up advice and solutions and and resources that we can use temporarily until we can get in front of those providers. Yeah. And you talk a lot about a lot of the good things that the Navy is doing to, you know, a lot of things the Navy is doing better for to make mental health uh, better for service members. Can you tell me a few of those things? Yeah. So the Navy, um, you know, more recently came out with the mental health playbook. Uh Um, And, you know, I just said, you know, we have to do better at um, informing each other and knowing what's out there. Well, that playbook can act as a guide of what's out there and kind of how to navigate the system. And so, you know, that's one thing. And even bigger than that is the Navy has kind of reorganized and, uh, they, they gave it a new name, but instead of the, you know, 21st century sailor office, it's the uh, culture of excellence office. And there's another one. Um, it's like a resilience, a resiliency office. So mm-hmm. it's like big, big Navy level, you know, headquarters that address these things to help the people and the sailors and the fleet. And so that that is something that I don't think a lot of us know about. Um, you know, there's POCs, there's emails, you can always, it's like the uniform matters office, right? Like we all have questions about uniforms and we email them and they get back to us. So, you know, it's kind of the same. So if you have a question or an issue, why not like address it and, and know where to go to, to get the resources or address the issue? Yeah. I just saw that the Gerald Ford, uh, they got, uh, expanded operational stress control dogs on board. They got it. Well, they got expanded operational stress control dog on board now. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'm hoping that, you know, we get one, you know, on the ship that I'm going to. I was so excited about that. I've been looking to get in contact actually with them. I just, I just need to find a person. Um, And actually that was going to be one of my leads to talk about the positive effects that, that 
animals and dogs can have like on our mental health and our stress. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Superhero origin story type stuff. Right? <laughs> Telling to dogs. Uh, so do you uh, book record? You know, I'm big on if you listen to the podcast, which I'm sure you have. Um, don't know how far you make it in, but at the very end of it, I normally talk about a book. So I'm I'm super big on books, and hopefully our listeners have traveled with me in these in this realm of books and things like that. You got any book recommendations for the listeners? I have a lot of book recommendations. <laughs> I'm I'm a big reader. I always have been. Um, when it comes to like leadership, um, there's a couple books or a couple authors. I'll say Brene Brown mm-hmm. and Simon Sinek. Um, they have some really good material. Um, I will say like it starts with Why by Simon Sinek is probably the one that I would recommend. Yeah. Um, and then Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Um, those books are more like a corporate level type leadership, but they hit on very like foundational principles that can apply to anything, especially the military. Mm -hmm. Um, So I recommend checking those out. And then like when it comes to wellness and resiliency um, and like just about the brain and mental health, one that I I love um, when I was going through like the thick of all my issues after the first appointment and I was kind of confused about feeling depressed and anxious because I had never felt like that. I picked up a book um, and it was called Un-F-U-C-K, Your Brain mm-hmm. um, by Faith Harper. So it's a short, um, light read, right? It's about the brain and how the brain works. How is it a light read? But like, no, she does a really good job. <laughs> yeah. No, she does a really good job at like breaking it down and just like being fun in our language um, and just explaining, you know, how the brain works for all of us. And that really helped me um, in a sense is like, oh, this is normal. Like, it's not weird for me to be feeling like this. Um, And then in the realm of like, um, you know, resiliency, this is a very popular book. um, And it's the one by David Goggins, Goggins. uh, Can't Hurt Me. Um, He went through and persevered through many, many different obstacles to get to where he ultimately wanted to be. So that one's kind of a story of inspiration um, and just like a testament of how much, you know, grit and willpower somebody can truly have. Um, So that one I I really like too. Um, And then I read a lot of like fiction, horror genre type books. That's like my primary source of reading. Mm -hmm. Um, This one's not horror particularly, but it's called A Little Life. And it's about um, just like relationships and friendships and how important it is and how important, you know, being kind is and how the effects of good friendships and relationships can can help in life. And so, like, I really love that book. That one had me crying, um, but it's really good and powerful. You read them or you do audiobooks? I read. I, I'm, I like to, like sit with a book, like a paper copy book. I have a bookshelf full of tons of books um, and just kind of like go through page by page something about having the physical book in my hand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, yeah. people, Desiree Brigham sees a triumph and a dog pound. <laughs> yeah, the dog pound with her. <laughs> yeah, the dog pound with her. Um, but uh, let me tell you something. You know, we t- like 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 we've said it already twice. Uh, we talked already um, last week. Unfortunately, that episode can't come out. Um, we said too many disparaging things about the the Navy. <laughs> no, no, that that didn't happen. Um, but it just the audio was messed up, so we had to redo this. 
But I told you before, uh, keep it up. You know, keep it up. Uh, keep grinding it out. Keep trying to heal that wounded bird. Keep pushing through. Keep, you know, these stories, the things that you connect and these people you're talking to. We, we, we've never had a space like this before that's understandable, that's understandable, easily palatable, um, easy to kind of comprehend that young sellers really do need to tap into and listen to, you know, and, and, and us leaders. So um, I wish you the best with all your endeavors. And, you know, if you ever need anything, we're here. You know, I'm here for you on every aspect, you know, whether it be Navy or whatever. You know, so you can always reach out to us. I know Damon and Tish uh, would have loved to be here, but unfortunately they can't. And I hope this isn't the last time we talk. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm, it won't be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to have a, a Mick Pine on by episode 17. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so Hopefully. we will. Yeah. So, you we'll know, do so a we joint pod. Look, if I get the Mick Pine on, I'm bringing you and D Guts yeah, and yeah, everybody got, else on yeah. there too. <laughs> Yeah, bring the whole, bring the whole community, yeah, whole community. Mm-hmm. But no, but good luck, and I appreciate uh, you giving me another chance to talk to you, you know, and another chance that you know we could get your story out there. So thank you. Of course. Well, I can't do it alone, right? So like, all the audience, the listeners, like, help me on this, on this mission, on this effort, right? By just like helping break down that mental health stigma and caring about your people and being the best leaders that you could be for them. <laughs> <laughs>